for November 27th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 804. It gets really religious, and there's camels. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together, talking about the things that we enjoy. We enjoy them more when we enjoy them together, which is a a uh, you know a theme of the holiday the holiday season. It would be sad to to cut into a. Uh, cut into a turkey all by yourself. I can imagine you sitting at a long banquet table all alone, you know, a carving knife in hand, right? Like slicing beautiful, juicy slices off of a perfectly roasted turkey, but with no one to share them with. You know, what even is, uh, what is the, the, um, what is the life of one species, as the, the founder says in Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, what is the life of one species against the, the vast reach of the cosmos? Um, so, uh, you know, we enjoy the turkey more when we enjoy it together. Here, you want some light meat or some dark meat? Take some potatoes. They're, they're the one thing that it's really, uh, impossible to mess up in the, uh, in the, the holiday banquet. You know, enjoy you'd be, it. You'd be surprised, Matt. You would oh be really? Boil them. Yeah. Boil them. Throw a stick of butter in, and and you know, mash to your heart's content. You don't even have to mash them well for them to be I mean, good. Look, that a relative of mine who will go unnamed had the brilliant idea to follow a recipe that called for adding, I joke you not, bananas to a mashed potato recipe. A bananas. <laughs> Wait, that's They're just hiding anything the same color in it. Do they add mac and cheese next? I, 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 I that's, that's all I got, man. It was bananas. <laughs> the bananas were bananas. It was bananas. It was indeed. B a n a n a s. Even <laughs> this mash is bananas. Um, but no, we enjoy we enjoy them together. I'm Matt Rather. Uh, I, here are the people I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy it with. It's it's Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete, how are you? Ho ho ho. You know, ho ho ho. Indeed, Green Giant. I'm good. <laughs> You know, sorry. What you were going? You were going to? You were going to go off in a direction? What's uh? You know, what he was in the parade, right? Large men. What were you talking about? He, he was in the parade. Another large patriarchal figure that was in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh yeah, yeah. I did also see a Santa parade today. Uh, so yes, there's been much Santaing and much parading that's been taking place. Yes, he's been really hitting the hitting the circuit this weekend, going Amazing. to all the parades in your town too, probably. If there's a if there's a parade with a fire truck in it. There was probably Santa on it at the end uh, because they're shorthanded because of the Thanksgiving holidays. So Santa's simultaneously volunteering at all of the United States's <laughs> municipal fire departments. <laughs> it's a shame that in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, he doesn't ride on the back of a fire truck. I've really become quite fond of it, of the juxtaposition of Santa Claus and a fire truck. Have I, yeah, have I told you it's, it's also it's the red. most— It matches. It's the most right? New Jersey I've ever sounded since moving to Massachusetts. There's a video of me at a Santa parade, you know, subconsciously, not deliberately pointing to the end of the parade. It was freezing, freezing, freezing cold. And I was holding my like one-year-old son. And I said to him, look, it's Santa Claus in a fire truck. And it just sort of came out. Right. And it's like, oh man. And so since then, <laughs> Santa Claus in a fire truck has been my sort of, uh, Hey there, mister, why'd you have a paper? You know, kind of like, uh, uh, back in the New York Metro area accent, I suppose. But, um, I, those I, are one of those moments you realize you cannot escape your past and that you are um, passing that on. Yeah, it's my generation. Tony Soprano dream yeah. sequence. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, We've and, all been there. 
And we got uh, we got Mark Lee as well. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Ho, ho, ho. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Forget that Thanksgiving crap. That is just long gone. We've moved on to the next holiday. The big one. Christmas. Uh, I know it's 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 time. It's finally it's finally time. Dear Mark, I am eight years old. Some of mm. my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. But Fenzel says, if Mark Lee says it, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Matt, Matt Virginia O'Hanlon, rather. <laughs> Matt, Santa Santa is a state of mind. And let's be honest here, all reality is a construct. Right. All of this is a construct. Isn't that is that have you learned nothing from these uh, more than you've been alive for only eight years. Um, but this podcast is around for longer than you've been alive. Mm. And that is uh, the thing that we uh, consistently harp on on this, which is that authenticity is a construct. I mean, it's one of many things that we, we harp on. We impart to our uh, our young listeners. So that's your answer. Santa's as real as any, any of this other crap. San- <laughs> <laughs> got it well i uh i understand you had there's, a there's two guys at a fork in the road one of them always tells the truth and one of them always lies and so you go up to one of them and you say is there a santa claus <laughs> <laughs> and one of them says no and the other says no what do you do <laughs> what do you do I've lost. I've. I, I thought I understood combinatorial mathematics, but I, <laughs> I don't even know what what mockingbird is this. Um, Mark, I understand that that uh, you had a Christmas experience recently. I did. Oh, to, the answer to your question, uh, to more in theme with the the show here, to the answer to the question is Santa real? Um, the answer is uh, possibly, probably, but more importantly, you know what's real. Jesus. Oh, okay. Got it. And the nativity. Yes. We're talking about the rate or the Christmas experience we're talking about is the Radio City Christmas Extravaganza. Is is that especially what it's called? Spectacular. 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 Yes. The Radio City Christmas Spectacular. Yes. The annual live show holiday Christmas tradition live from famous Radio City Music Hall in New York City, New York, New York. Um, the center of the universe, the greatest city in uh, all mankind. Um, I was there. I saw it. I took my five-year-old and my three-year-old to it. Um, miraculously, the real Christmas miracle is that they made it through the entire show without sleeping or melting down. They actually quite enjoyed it, like all, all joking aside. Um, and I'm here to talk to you all about it. It's not short, right? It's not like it's not bite-sized. It's a real it's a real show. It's like 75 it's, minutes or something. Yeah, it's no, it's 90 minutes with no oh, intermission. Okay. Got it. Yeah, all the more, all the more impressive. Um, okay, so there, let's let's kind of the table setting here. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the show, right? It is ninety minutes. It's live. It's a review, so there is not really much of a plot there. Now, in the past, they sort of tried to put a plot in there, but they dispense with it, and we might come back. So it's a, so it's a um, review. So there's like a comedian who comes out, and then there's like an acrobat, and then like a burlesque. Uh, I like wish burl- actually <laughs> that that, that would have made it more interesting. Um, no, the show is enjoyable. It is. It's it's interesting in how it tries to not be interesting, I think. So, um, and I don't mean to criticize the show really too much. And by the way, I got like a, a friend of a friend who um, is in the pit orchestra for it. So, you know, all praise and um, and and shout outs to all the hardworking entertainers who are in this because Lord knows they're working hard, hard at this. But it's it's for kids. That's like that. That's it's a fair to say. It, it is family entertainment, um, and it is. If not entirely, but like mostly geared toward children, and maybe not as young as five and three, but like you know the, the aforementioned uh, 
um, hypothetical eight-year-old um, is probably really squarely in the target audience for this sort of thing. <laughs> the kind of child who might be questioning is Santa real? <laughs> or maybe it's just like just been smacked up outside the head with a two by four of truth that Santa is, the, the, is, is merely a construct. The kind of <laughs> the kind of child that might be questioning his Santuality. Oh no, no right? That's just, yeah, no, yeah. Don't. Sorry. Um, so going back to the nature of the show, it's a review. Um, there are a number of very loosely connected song and dance and uh, and, and now special effects and emotion sequences together. Um, the famous Rockettes. Um, the, the kick line dancers uh, are featured very heavily in it. They do a lot of uh, very impressive dance numbers, uh, to be sure. Um, but again, like there's not a plot. There's nothing like, kind of driving you through it. And, you know, my wife and I, we had seen it without children. Um, well, not children, without children of our own, but with another in the company of another wee lad of about maybe five years old, um, about five years ago. And Pete, I, th- I think that's when you saw it as well, too. Um, and then I think we were more taken with it by then, like, like with the whole spectacle of it. And, and again, the technical artistry of uh, the entire package is quite impressive. Um, but once you're going to get past that and you're familiar with, with the nature of the show, um, you're kind of just like uh, along for the ride and then kind of not, not the best way for an adult. Um, and um, you're kind of mostly also just like looking at the faces of, of the children and seeing, are they enjoy asking yourself, are they enjoying this? Are they um, feeling the Christmas wonder, the Christmas mm. spirit? Are they pooping their pants? Yeah. Are they about to, um, melt down in some spectacular fashion that will cause me to be extremely embarrassed and rush the child out of the room. So anyway, I'll say like that was my experience. Um, we can go into more specifics uh, of the show itself, and there, there's a, there's there is actually a lot to talk about, and in kind of the way that it tries to be unoffensive and you know just kind of like very broad entertainment. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave it there and kind of also just wonder like kind of your reference points for this. I, I understand that the both of you have actually seen the show. Wait, so your your past. experience was one of parental anxiety is what I'm hearing. Yeah, that, pretty much. That, that you're yeah. saying. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's like I paid even... for these these seats and uh, things were nosebleeds to be clear, but they were also to be clear, um, not inexpensive um, for any sort of live entertainment, especially with kids involved. I'm like, okay, did I just drop you know, all this money on the, on these seats only to like, you know, uh, uh, have to just pull the report on it. Like $3,000 American. Did I just drop $3,000 American? <laughs> more expensive than Taylor Swift tickets. More. You guys, <laughs> that is false. Uh, Pete, when did you see the show first? Did you, yeah, I saw it in the late 2010s. I don't remember the exact year, What I do remember was that I, there had been various attempts to try to modernize the show. And I think I, I think the show is legitimately quite interesting. And it is traditional is the probably the most important word, I think, to associate with it. Or in old that, fashion, maybe? But anyway, let's, let's I think going. traditional is more important to, in terms of functionally what's going on. Because I don't think the Rockettes are trying to be old-fashioned. But, I mean, this is up for discussion. I think the Rockettes are not, Rockettes are not trying to be old-fashioned. I think they are trying to be traditional. And it's sort of longitudinally traditional. It's like each year we have to do it the same as we did it the prior year. Not each year we have to do it the same way as we did it in like 1930. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. they've been doing the same show since the since the early 30s. Like very, very similar. It, there's obviously differences. There's like a 3D adventure with Santa Claus, which did not exist back in the 30s, as far as I know. I think, you know, they didn't have enough. Uh, I don't think the corn whiskey was legal uh, to get you, <laughs> <laughs> to get you hyped yes. up enough for it. But the now, idea now, is, now Santa travels to Pandora. Yeah. Well, like to, get, to cast that difference, right? What I'm saying is that 
an old-fashioned show. The Rockets, I find really interesting to reflect on. Part of why I've reflected on it is uh, that they that there are dance troops here up in Massachusetts, like for young kids, who come out and, and march in parades and stuff. And the Rockettes seem to be like an aesthetic for other dance troops. And I grew up in the New York area where the Rockettes were kind of a real thing. Like there were the Rockettes. There was no like Walter Benjamin, you know, art in the age of mechanical reproduction. The Rockettes <laughs> existed in a place, right? There were not other Rockettes, right? Like, uh, and, and the reason that there weren't was because there was no point to it, right? Like, as in, like, they, they were a thing, they were kind of a relic, but they kept going and they did the show and they had a certain cachet and fame and kind of legitimacy. Uh, but there was no reason to have more than one of them. Like, I mean, obviously, you need a bunch of them in order for them to be the Rockettes. But, you know, in the sense that it is a collective noun, there need only be one Rockettes. And yet I've gone and seen now living hundreds of miles away, if not thousands, right? Not thousands, definitely seen other troops that that try to be Rockettes aesthetically. And I find it fascinating because I don't know where they're operating from. Like, what is it about the Rockettes that makes you want to dance like them? Um, but yes, it's a musical. If they were trying to be old fashioned, you would expect there to be old fashioned dances. You would expect there to be sort of traditional dances Right. You would expect there to be. Like, do you mean like English country dancing or like, well, you know, exactly. The, the right. Ga- like gavotte or something like court like, dancing? Like, like ri- river dance. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, OK, so like what is a traditional dance? Right. A traditional when I this is an interesting distinction that we're drawing here. Right. Because the Rockettes are a precision. They're what's called a precision dance troupe and almost like a military company in certain ways. It's like, yeah, uh, it's like the, the Blue Angels. You know, the yep. Thunderbirds. Yep. Right? Yep. There's actually the- different. They all started as different colors of angels. The Rockettes were the red angel. But then after the communists uh, became more prominent in the world, they decided to change their name to the Rockettes. I actually, funny, actually, I actually, I um, actually, I actually like uh, I, I love that. I, I had to remind myself just now that the uh, the Rockettes are not um, named after rock and roll because they predate rock and roll by several <laughs> by several decades. Yes. Right? They're named after John D. Rockefeller. They're the- oh, are they? I thought they were named after the novelty of a tube full of explosive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe they are. Um, no, but that's yeah. what, the, like yeah. Rockefeller Center, right? Like the 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 Rockettes, John D. Rockefeller's association with that whole with that whole yeah. thing well now i need to go down a uh, now i need to go down a wikipedia rabbit hole or mark do you have the you have the real information i'm i'm, I'm fairly certain that that right you know the, the depression era huge construction project in new york city known as rockefeller center which is where radio city music hall is located yeah so continue okay uh, so okay sorry go ahead you you want to no that's that was my only that was my only contribution there john d john d rockefeller there you go fair enough so a traditional dance would be a dance that is done in the same way. That means the dance should exist as a, a sequence of steps, as a uh, something that could be mapped, something that could be taught, something that could be passed down. And the, do the Rock Cats have any traditional dances? Now, they have traditional bits, like there's traditional things they do in the show, but I don't think of the Rockettes other than a kick line, which is like, I mean, the Rockettes are almost neo-futurists, right? Like the stuff that they do is very broken down from a notion of a traditional dance. It's like mechanical. Uh, now, of course, this also comes from, you know, the Follies and from other as a separate dance tradition. The the idea that the Rockettes kind of emerge 
you know, on either on Broadway or in Radio City Music Hall, not far from the Metropolitan Ballet, right? You know, like in Lincoln Center. And the idea of these different sort of like heights of dance that you can achieve in these particular neighborhoods in New York City, uh, you know, you're not that far from a bunch of other high cachet dance troops. But the Rockettes are not arriving at this place from the same sort of path that you would see Swan Lake from, right? Where like the music and the dance techniques all go back hundreds of years. There's the... It's it's a, there's a real I mean, I don't know what's there are there are ways to categorize it that dismiss the question, but give you the confidence of having an answer, such as saying that they are sort of commoditized. Uh, but but that's but everything it's not it's not a meaningful question. It's more like um, I mean, it's, it's folk art to an extent, I guess. Like, how did you characterize the influence of vaudeville showgirls on dancing? You know, like 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 I think you could if I mean, if you were more qualified on it than me to talk about it. But the idea that you actually don't have a debt to dance tradition that the crowd is expecting you to show. So you have an additional freedom. And I'm talking about the Rockettes in like 1930. Right. Like you don't have to go out there and do plies in the traditional state. You, you don't have to do all your positions. You don't have to, you know, uh, the pas de deux or whatever it is. Right. Like you can do whatever you want. They're they're there to see the the spectacle, right? And so you have this kind of radical freedom while also being constrained to a very specific sort of function, right? And being like a vaudeville vaudeville showgirl act, uh, which I, I think I mean it's not fair to say the Rockettes are that, but they emerge into that space, like into that tradition from you know precision, precision dancing. Um, uh, in the UK, uh, coming on over, it has this real military vibe. It always has of the sort of unified stepping, and and which is characteristic of like you know modern early 20th century you know militaries. Um, but but yeah, the, the, I guess what I'm getting around to here is that like the Rockettes show doesn't have you watch them do a bunch of steps, and you don't lean over and you will be like, oh, this is this is the. Uh, this is the Union Square shuffle, right? Like this is the one that they did for for Abraham Lincoln or whatever, right? Like, you know, like oh man, like no, you know, oh man, hey, this was FDR's favorite dance. They did it at the White House, you know. Like no, no, nobody, no, I don't know any traditional dances of the Rockettes other than just doing a kick line, uh, which of course, as I as I said, is sort of a radical deconstruction of the notion of dancing right like it's like it's just one move over and over again right like yes, and you're but at this point like, right the kick line and the toy soldier routine where they all fall down in slow motion those have become traditions of their own right exactly so clear, right? that's what i'm saying like the sh- but but they exist in the context of this show like yeah like, and like, kind of yeah. only that oh well the kick line is, is, is a whole thing now yeah um, yeah, but the but the cannonball yeah. routine is like very specific yeah. to this show. Yeah, the kick line is the military can can right. It's like the can can got drafted, and now you have the kick line. Um, but yeah, no, these these the most of the rocket aesthetic exists in the context of a Christmas show, including how you might imagine them dressing. I mean, most of the time, I would imagine them dressing with like Christmas outfits on, right? Like, uh, and yeah. and they, um, they come out. By the way, the first number they come out dressed up as reindeer. Very yeah. specifically. And then from there, proceed to, you know, various like, you know, sequined uh, uh, green and red outfits, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I guess what I should say is that they are some of the ways in which they are military. Right. Is like they're they're a fixed height. Right. Right. Like yep. very constrained in height. I mean, less so, I'm assuming, than they used to be way back in the day. But like, no, you pretty know, constrained, this is like pretty guard con- stuff. Right. Pretty constrained um, in height and and weight. The uh, I was uh, like, I've I 
uh, looked on YouTube and I found a lot of like BTS, uh, uh, not like behind the scenes stuff about, you know, my, my day as a rocket uh, that were oh, yeah. like vlogs about you know, what one of the dancers kind of does throughout the course of the day and like learned a lot of behind the scenes, behind the scenes stuff. But I, I think that like during the pandemic, I, I think that the, the rocket's choreography has become somehow its own kind of folk dance, its own kind of traditional yeah. dance. And like, you can't, change it you know and there so there are like there are um there are uh there were like uh, over the pandemic dance classes taught on on like instagram live where you know a a working rocket would like teach you a combination from actual rockets choreography with like a warm-up and cool down the way you would learn a combination in like a professional dance class. And uh, that was kind of like one way that they kept the brand alive over the, over the pandemic. Um, there also, I think was like a rocket summer camp or something for aspiring dancers. And I'm assuming in high school and college where like you could come in and again, learn the, learn the, the real things. Um, uh, learn the real steps. I'm. I'm just. I've. I've. Uh, I, I have to update what I said about uh, Mr. Rockefeller. Um, the the uh, name of the Rockettes is actually more complicated than that. The Rockettes were originally inspired by a precision dance company called the Tiller Girls, a precision dance company um, from the 1890s. Uh, came to perform in the United States in 1900. And eventually there were three lines of them working on Broadway. I think there are three Rockettes lines as well who rotate through the through the thing because no human. Yeah, because they do can it. only fire once every twenty seconds. So they <laughs> rotate. <laughs> um so then then uh a uh, an American choreographer uh did um you know, uh, uh, was, saw this and put together an a knockoff uh, originally called the Missouri Rockets, the Missouri Rockets, uh, and then the impresario Roxy, um, Samuel Lionel Roxy Rothafel, uh brought them to New York for the Roxy Theater. They were called the Roxyettes. Only later would they become the Rockettes after uh, Roxy and Radio City Music Hall parted ways. So there, you know, there, there you go. It's actually not, it's the, uh, it's not um, John D. Rockefeller at all. It, it's only coincidence that it's right by Rockefeller Center, right there on uh, Sixth Avenue. It's, uh, it's the Missouri Rockets. The Missouri yeah. Rockets. And that's, I mean, that's interesting the way, the way that it is at once kind of militaristic and also kind of feminized because they're Rockettes. Um, so they're kind of not, uh, they're not, they're not threatening. They're not sort of aggressive in their, their military, 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 but they, uh, you know, but they are all a certain height. They all kick to the same kind of the level of their eyes. They actually dress up as, you know, red coats as like British red coats or something in the, one of the, one of the famous numbers in the, uh, uh, one of the famous numbers in the show. And it's, uh, I don't know. Hey, are you, is that what you're is are you calling? Is that the toy soldiers? Is, you're saying they're dressed like red coats. They're dressed like red coats. That's a, that's a yeah, Peter, We are both objecting to that. It's yeah. an anti. It is an anti-American. It is an anti-American spectacle yeah. Yeah. being yeah. Yeah. 
put onto our children, you know, wake up, wake is up. Is it though, or is it is it no, uh, it's actually not. It's very not. They're like they're like because... nut, they're toy soldiers. They're nutcrackers or something like that. They're you know. No, let's let's go with this. They are actually British Red Coast, and they're being slaughtered by American cannons. <laughs> yes, yeah. The Rockettes were first founded by William Franklin, the son of Ben Franklin, who was a loyalist governor of New Jersey, and he. <laughs> <laughs> And they actually, they, they were, uh, they were originally, uh, oh gosh. And now I'm trying to think like, it can't be like Coquettes or Rockets or Rockies. Yeah. Cause he was, they, cause he would throw rocks. They would throw no, they, rocks no, at they the were, Patriots. They, they were originally called the, the Rickettes after, uh, after, <laughs> after poor the vitamin deficiency. <laughs> no, no, well, ironically, because uh, many of them fell to that vitamin deficiency oh, okay. in the early, in the early years. That's because why of... they're always showing off their straight legs all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because of malnutrition bought a, right. brought on by the deprivation, yeah. you know, following the, the American revolutionary war. Uh, but no, it was actually named after, uh, poor Richard's almanac and the uh, the the you know the the association with the disease, uh, though you know uh, really really suggestive to satirists and pamphleteers at the time was uh, was only accidental. Yeah. Now I want to I want to be clear. In a saying all this, there's two things that I want to say. <laughs> One is I mean no disrespect to any Rockettes. Uh, when I say that I can't think of any traditional Rockhead dances other than their traditional numbers, it's not that they don't do them. It's not that they don't do all sorts of impressive dance moves. Oh, no, they That's do the that hell they out of do. them. They, they do, do a the lot hell. of it. It's just that, uh, that being a Rockette, in at least the mind space I've encountered them in, is very specifically tied to a small number of the things that they do rather than the sort of broader scope of what they do. And then the other part of it is I really think <laughs> that there is – so uh, slight sidebar uh, – Right before this podcast was recorded, I was watching an episode with my wife of the great British British Bake Off, The Professionals, the show where they actually get real bakers to do it. And the bakers were tasked with creating a shoe uh, pastry display of the greatest moment in history. And it just... And it just made me think, like, what's the greatest moment in history? Like, what? what is, and it was, what do you do? it was, it was a Madonna and child, except the baby Jesus was Paul Hollywood. And, uh, <laughs> no, it was a giant shoe pastry of Bill Buckner with the ball rolling through his legs in 1986. Right? It was like, <laughs> like, what are all the different ways that you can conceive? It just because I feel like. We talk about history so much. I don't know about you guys, but I think about the Roman Empire all the time. But no, we talk, we talk about history so much just in everyday conversation now. And uh, and I feel like I was raised, you know, in a time when the narrative of history, you know, sort of the end of history stuff was kind of happening as I was becoming an adolescent. And uh, all the stuff at the end of the Cold War and the kind of end of the, the sort of end closing the book on the two world wars as sort of an end of a chapter of history. And the subsequent decades have kind of invited a reconsideration of the sort of historical narrative of the 20th century to now in the sense that we have to make sense of what's happened since. Right. Which which sort of seemed preordained at the time, as the future so often does. And one of those things is the Rockettes. Right. It's sort of like it's it feels like. When you're thinking about greatest moments in history, you could put the Rockettes kick line there, right? As like as a great like there is a way of thinking about history. Sure. For a certain which, for a certain definition of great and also history. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm with like you. like like it like the Rockettes feel to me like a historical 
thing. Like if this were all a high fantasy novel, they would be like Tavaren or whatever. They would have like the weave of fate would like wrap around several of the Rockettes because they're sort of like significant in the magic of the world, right? Like, uh, like that, that, this thing that existed and, and they kind of, or they exist still and they kind of defy explanation, uh, at least in terms of what they might be compared to, perhaps because all of their antecedents were gone for so long, or all their their competition was gone for so long before I ever saw them. Um, but I love the idea that like the Rockettes are a nexus event; they're like a fixed moment in time, and we're all inv- inventing the various variant timelines that like lead up to the Rockettes, right? Like the Rockettes could have come from here, or they could have come from here. Whichever way history wends or weaves, eventually you would create the uh, Radio City Musical Christmas it's, Spectacular. It's- <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Miguel would call it a canon moment, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, exactly. and ironically, yeah. ironically, they get shot Wonderful. with the cannon, representing with the cannon. representing the American victory uh, in go. the Revolutionary War. Mark, like, no, no, Matt, they're patriots, right? <laughs> so the, the cannon represents the European tradition mowing down American aspirations, their foolish aspirations. I guess so, yes, absolutely. <laughs> With a whiff of grape mm. shot. Uh, nation- Napoleon is the movie we did not do this week. Uh, we don't have – because we didn't want to talk about sad history. We wanted to talk about happy history and the Mark, Rockettes. They're, they're like five – they're like five Rockettes numbers. That doesn't – five or six. That doesn't uh, account for – 90 minutes of the show so like what else is in the show talk about the the show well, itself a little bit the rocket numbers sorry you go ahead count for quite a lot oh, a yeah, donkey we, we gotta, a donkey we, we, talk about we, the donkey effing conundrum why is she <laughs> there's definitely no donkey effing uh in this so there is a live donkey on the stage says but, you it's uh, it is a literal donkey show <laughs> All right, let, let's let's please approach the nativity scene with the appropriate reverent tone as it is done in this in the show. And let's maybe say that for the end because that's also where it shows up. Um side note by the way, I, I love the, the the what we're talking about in terms of the rockets and, and the dancing and the significance of all that kind of stuff. Um because like dancing is a big pop culture blind spot of mine. Like I don't really understand dance in a significant way. I will say though, from a practical perspective. The Radio City uh, auditorium is very large. It's much larger, maybe, I don't know, twice as big as the typical Broadway theater. You know, if you've gone to see, you know, whatever, Wicked. No, Mark, or, it's um, like, it's like 10 Mormon. times, it's like, it's like 10 times as big. Like It's freaking, uh, it's freaking huge. The point being is that we were in the, we were in the nosebleeds, you know, third mezzanine, or if you want to call it. And uh, to make dance routines read from that far away, you need something quite larger than life. And by which I mean a troop of 30 dancers who are all like i think plus taller than average and had can kick their legs long legs all the way up to their eyes so like from a very practical perspective like you know you want spectacle you want dance spectacle and make it uh reach um that's how you do it um so just that's just a kind of a, a stage note there um and under the stagecraft now as for the show itself um so i'm just going to kind of uh, hit some highlights here that that's included in it. Um, I, I'm going to start with the music. Actually, um, very crucially, it starts with the band on stage um, and some singers off in the wings. But the music, the band gets to take center stage and stage emphasis on stage because um, they have a fancy stage um, and it, it's. I think it's pretty intentional. It's 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 a flex for sure, right? The stage um, uh, they start in a pit 
the stage uh, raises up so that you know the, the musicians are literally put on a pedestal. Later on in the show, the stage moves all the way to the back. It, like the stage is very quite mobile, and the stage is full of top-notch crack musicians, um, you know, full orchestra, um, and they are just killing it. Right? They are so freaking good. Um, but also really notably, like the style of music that just kind of pervades the whole show, and like there's a you know, lot, just lots of song and dance numbers. You know, covering all, all, most of the Christmas classics that you would expect in this sort of show. I will say that there is a Mariah Carey size hole in this, and the show is aware of it as well. Um, but the predominant musical styling for the numbers is very much like American Songbook. Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? That brassy swung, uh, classic Christmas sound that you think of. And like, I will just like give you this one sonic note and, and I'm going to get your reactions to it. Like, I think it really kind of encapsulates what the music is trying to do. As part of their big opening overture, um, one the, the song that really stuck out to me was their rendition of White Christmas, right? And it was not like, later on, they do the very ballady, you know, solemn uh, version of, of White Christmas. But in this one, they're doing it like the 60s Star Trek theme song. By which I mean, it's like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and the bong and the drummer, the bongo player is just having a ball. And it's like, OK, I get it. This is the show that I'm here to see. Right. Like, you know, you're it is like just swinging for the fences, going for that golden age, New York city experience. Like you're Don Draper in the sixties and everything is grand in New York. And, um, you know, and, and, and you are just experiencing the United States at the height of its cultural and military power. I was feeling it. I was vibing it. Um, does that surprise you? I, I would expect it would not surprise you. What is your reaction when you, when you, when you hear me say like, that is the vibe. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting because like, I think of the vibe of Christmas music in general being like early rock and roll being like, uh, being like kind of almost boogie woogie, uh, type of rock, type of rock and roll. Um, and uh, I would say that definitely all I want for Christmas is you slots into that, Mm -hmm. you know, that, um, that thing but there's also the strain there's a strain of as you say like big band music of like great american songbook type music arranged by nelson riddle uh kind of music like um this is the second time in a couple weeks we've actually name checked nelson riddle on on the podcast because that's a that's wow something like beetlejuice like some he's gonna he's gonna pop up at, at some point um yeah, there's that that thing, and I think of like Bing Crosby in the film White Christmas and that that sort of stuff. And I, you know, it's it's nostalgic Americana. It's a it's yeah. a kind of mid twentieth century, uh, you know, sense of of expansion, possibility, optimism. It's all associated. Uh, it's all associated with that with that stuff and that like the the i you know in the same way that um you know i don't know in the same way that that nostalgia like has to reinvent itself every couple decades uh now there's a uh there's a a broadway jukebox musical called and juliet which features mm-hmm. the the music of max martin 
um, which is not nostalgic, which is cutting edge, which is, you know, sonic art of the first order, or maybe I'm just getting old. Like, but I, by the way, I need, I need to see that and report back. We've aged, everyone. we've aged into the, the nostalgia bracket, right? Like, I feel like this is like your grandparents, your grandparents nostalgia, or even your great grandparents nostalgia. And I, I wonder if it has to do something with, you know, the, the kind of the multi-generational nature of the audience, right? Because, like, Mark, you you wouldn't have gone to see this. Uh, maybe you'd go see your buddy play in the pit, but, like, you wouldn't have gone to see this without kids, really, right? Like, no. Nah. It, yeah. yeah. And I went, the time I went, I remember going in the 90s, and I, you know, my mom took me, right? Like, we were, we were going to New York for Christmas to, like, see mm-hmm. decorations, see, like, tree lighting in Rockefeller Center. Not lighting, see the, the tree standing in, in Rockefeller Center. See the tree lit. Um, and, uh, you know, to see the, the decorations on Fifth Avenue outside all the stores and to go to Macy's and, like, see all that. Like, the whole, you know, we were, we were there to do that. And this is part of the, you know, this is part of the Stations of the Cross. Like, this is part of the pilgrimage. Um, that you do to to show your your religious uh slash economic devotion to to the holidays and i i mean i've been kind of having fun and being silly but i remember the size like radio city music hall is uh 6000 seats um the the largest broadway theater is just shy of 2000 i think and uh the smallest broadway theater is only 600 seats right so mm-hmm. you know uh so this is like an order of magnitude bigger um, then, then that, then that smallest Broadway theater, right? Like, and I, I remember the, the sense of being like overwhelmed, you know, um, as one, as one in prayer, Mark is overwhelmed by the grace of God, right? Mm. As one in, in contemplation, uh, is overwhelmed by the vastness of the universe. Like, I remember, I remember being overwhelmed and feeling that the show was awesome in the sense that it inspired awe, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that like, Sure, like, uh, yeah. the, the giant Wurlitzer organ, you know? Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. Yeah, that's actually the music that starts the show. It's a rat. The freaking Wurlitzer. It's yeah. that, the... You feel the, it in your bones. So <laughs> right, good. Like, the, the, yeah, no, the, the Wurlitzer organ is metal AF, uh, as, as the kids would say if they were old and dorks. Um, the, <laughs> you know, like that, uh, the, uh, just the size of the stage, right? Like the, the kind of the nature of the spectacle, um, when it's, uh, the, the nature of the spectacle, when they do the, the nativity and just the kind of like the, the loudness of it. Like my, you know, my experience of it was one of, uh, was one of, of, you know, reverence. Now, look, we've been talking about the, the, uh, Rockettes as a paramilitary organization. I would like to point out <laughs> that the tools deployed by the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular are not dissimilar to the tools displayed deployed by fascist dictators (laughs) when they are, uh, you know, trying to rile up the populace or, or to cow the populace to, to, you know, uh, to uh, take heart, to have their their uh, uh, great leaderness take heart in the in the root the root of the po- the populace. There is a you know a sense of military precision. There are parades, 
know, there are like uh, uh, shows of strength. There are loud noises. There is a uh, there is a jolly fat red suited bearded man flying around in a sled. No, I'm sorry, that's not all. That's not all fascist. Just one named named Santa Claus. Now I just remember feeling overwhelmed by it, almost to the point of tears. That like it just seemed like too much. It just seemed like too much uh, the, to to comprehend in one little mind. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, I, I I had a reaction more similar to that the first time I saw it, for sure. Um, maybe I had better seats as well. Honestly, like, <laughs> being in the nosebleeds and like you know just walking my watching my child like a hawk uh, waiting for. Uh, waiting for her to have a meltdown kind of takes away from the whole sense of wonder. Just being able to be swept away by the whole thing, for sure. Um, right. I, I want to go back and backtrack a few, uh, I'll hit on a, a few points here. Um, one is the nostalgia bit um, in terms of the music, right? Now, there's a whole other podcast we could do. In fact, I guess you could say that the Switch on Pop uh, podcast has already done about how Christmas music specifically is frozen in time. Like, I mean, yes, it is, you know, the, the, the songbook has evolved, but like there is this, you know, the, the American songbook stuff uh, from the 60s um, is extraordinarily resilient and things that have been added on the 70s, the 80s and 90s just really tail off. I mean, you could do a peak rock graph um, showing that. Um, uh, but uh, as evidence of that, I will say that the, the, the best as I can remember, the most contemporary song that was in the book was of all things um the paul mccartney 1980 number simply having a wonderful christmas time you didn't mm. have anything more contemporary than that and by the way i mentioned like you know there's a mariah carey size hole in this it's like oh you think like they would blow it out and have you know all i want for christmas is you and just like you know just light the place on fire they probably can't send clear it. they probably can't clear it i mean mariah like, carey like, saves that for her own christmas right exactly yeah, she's yeah. the queen right. of christmas now that's her whole yeah. that's her retirement plan yeah yeah so instead, like the <laughs> instead of the 401k, K is for a clause. Um, uh, instead of that, the, the show-stopping number, I want to see if you can guess it. What is like the big pop uh, Christmas song um, to really just blow it all the stops? Is it Most Wonderful Time of the Year? No. Uh, it, it, it's, I mean, that's, I think that's part of the, 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 the crescendo at the end. But there's one song in particular. It's like, okay, we can't have all I want for Christmas is you. So instead, we're going to play this. Merry so, Christmas, Happy Holidays by NSYNC. <laughs> Merry Good Christmas, guess, but no. Happy Holidays. The little, the little drummer boy. No. Um, I, I'm afraid not. No, it's, by it's the way, the, I, got um, dr- I got drummer boyed early. I was out on Black Friday. <laughs> I got like uh, it came on and I, I looked at Christina and it was like, well, we're out this night. You know, I only found out about that whole thing just two days ago. I didn't know it existed. The drummer boy game. I actually really like that song. But but no, Mark, what is it? What is yeah. it? Don't keep us in suspense. It, it was um, the song called Christmas Baby, Please Come Home by Darling Love. Um, and if, if you'd be you'd be forgiven if you didn't know the song just by the title alone, but it's the one that goes like Christmas, baby, please come home now, Christmas. Na, 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 oh. na, 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 na. Yeah, that one. Na, 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 is that also from Love Actually, or is that? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I don't know. I haven't seen Love Actually in a long time. Um, it, it's uh, I, I found it interesting. Um, it's appropriate as well too. Like that, that's what I was guessing. I was like, okay, like they don't have the rights to the Mariah Carey song, so we're going to do that has that same kind of swung boogie woogie rock and roll feel. Um, that is also a stone cold uh, Christmas classic, but has the appropriate energy to to wrap it all up. Um, 
And that's what they brought. Um, now, keep in mind also, but um, is this the time should we talk about the, the, the solemn nativity sequence at the end? Yeah, let's do like, it. Let's you do know, it. You've got you know? like some like we're rounding pretty the- like very straight down the middle or religious stuff. And then you kind of like, you know, clear baby Jesus off the stage and then you get uh, the big uh, rock and roll finale. OK, so let me set the stage here. Right. You know, you've you've got this review show. And, and by the way, like um, there is no real plot or conflict or tension in this show that needs to be resolved in any way. Um, we alluded to this very briefly, um, but uh, in the, some point in the middle of the 2010s, they did try to have some plot where the Rockettes were like fighting the evil Christmas monsters and trying to save Christmas. Um, I'm not exaggerating that much, Pete. Is that about right? Um, uh, uh, correct me if I'm otherwise, if you, if you learn otherwise. But, but no, Pete, uh, you th- never th- saw, you saw the restored version. You didn't ever see the, the dark interregnum uh, of the Christmas monster. No, I don't think I saw the thing that Mark is talking about, but I'm not sure. Continue. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, there's none of that, basically, right? And there's, you know, a few loose things. There's, you know, there's a lot of Santa. Tons of Santa and how he's, you know, like uh, giving gifts to all the good boys and girls and all, all that great stuff. And then all the rockets, 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 lots of New York stuff. And then it's just like a hush falls over the auditorium and you've got the nativity sequence. There's a reading from the Bible. There is the religious Christmas music, right? Hark the Herald Angels sing. Um, and, and it's then what the just all, animals of a, come. all of a sudden you hear a voiceover, like with a booming voice saying, and in those days, Caesar Augustus decreed that the whole world should be counted. And not like, that far off. I mean, like okay. it is, it is the voice of a child or maybe like a mother reading to her child, something like that. But it is, and you know, in it those is a, days, Caesar Augustus declared that the whole world yeah. shall be counted. One, <laughs> um, two, yeah. So you, so you got the three wise men, um, we three kings of Orient are, such as it were, um, maybe a little slightly uncomfortable to, to uh, about the, the, you know, it's just they're of Orient are, you know, of Orientalism. They are perhaps as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it's 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 done to a, a very um, resplendent degree. Right. The costumes are very opulent. Uh, they got they were the very famous live animals. And like it was a very special thing to see that. Right. Um, and then, you know, um, angelic choirs um, sing out um, in praise of our newborn king. Right. Hark the herald angels sing um, in Excelsis Deo. Um, and, uh, and then Jesus and Mary, oh, this, I love this little bit. Um, they're up there in the manger scene, um, in, you know, set up on the stage, but they're also like elevated, of course. Right. You know, there's literally put on a pedestal and there's the manger and there's, uh, Mary and Joseph and, uh, they, they do that stage thing where they put their arms out. Right. And they say, ta-da, basically <laughs> here is baby Jesus. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, just the choirs of angels. Um, sing their praises um, for Jesus Christ, um, which is like it, it. That has always struck me as as perhaps the most interesting part of the show, which is like very very secular through and through until um, with very just like a, a few drops of religiosity throughout. And um, by the way, the the lighting they have there um, uh, helped provide that pretty early on, like you know when they played a religious Christmas song and then like basically simulated stained glass windows on the sides of the auditorium. And remember, Radio City is, is huge, right? So at that moment, you're like, okay, wow, I'm like in a, in a cathedral is what it feels like. Um, but again, like, you know, the show is very secular, um, all about uh, Santa and toys and uh, the Christmas spirit in New York and the long legs of the Rockettes and things like that. And then, okay, 
reason for the season, y'all. Let's do this. The, Pete, when you saw it recently, like, did it strike you as odd, unexpected, um, out of place, jarring? Or is it just like, okay, this is the part where we do the Jesus thing? Well, I... You keep in mind who you're talking to, you know, like jarring is a big word to use for things that I enjoy watching. Like I don't mind being high. jarred, jar away. I'm a jar head, right? I get jarred all the time. <laughs> uh, so yes, it is jarring in that sense, but I thought that was sort of a feature, not a bug. And uh, like, Oh, now there's, now there's the, it gets really religious and there's camels. That, um, I mean, one of, one of the things I remember is we got to go backstage because we knew someone who was in the show. What? Uh, and we got to see the camels where they kept them backstage, which was pretty awesome. Um, that was the one thing that I remembered more than anything else is the camels. But yeah, like uh, it, it is surprising, right, to see the casual juxtaposition of intense religious uh, storytelling with intense, you know, secular storytelling in the kind of places where we live and work. Uh, it is not considered courteous a lot of the time, right? Like the religious yeah. people don't like the other stuff and the, and the less religious people don't like the religious stuff. But of course it's a product of a time where uh, these two spheres of life were not as separate uh, for better or for worse uh, in, in various ways. Right. So um, where it would not have been as unusual, but also there would have been much more of a base assumption about who was in the audience and much more of a disregard for the people in the audience who didn't enjoy what was going on. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, it is. It is. A, it is a. It is a jolt, especially when there was a 3D Santa's sleigh, like Body Wars type of flying experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, right in that 3D um, animated sequence, um, the product placement, the brand sponsorship stuff was just out of control. It's like Santa zooming through New York City. It's like, oh, hey, there's the Chase Bank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Sir, let's make a stop by Madison Square Garden. I mean, um, this thing, it is Madison Square Garden, right? I mean, they own this thing. Dolan yes, the MSG, MSG Entertainment owns it all. Yeah. yeah. There are parts of the show that feel like they're being played between the periods of a hockey game on the Jumbotron, right? Like that that particular, it's like, oh, Santa Slay, who's going to make it to Radio City Music Hall first? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, uh, I, I would say that, uh, what was I going to say about the religiosity of it? Uh, and the and, oh, uh, that that um, it's another case of it being not old fashioned but traditional, because I feel like if they were trying to be old fashioned, they would have felt pressure to make the whole show more religious. But instead, they only keep the traditional part of the show religious that is religious, and the other parts of it are very not religious. You know, it's like it's like if you were to see a show that felt compelled to have a nativity, it, it's it's not just the nativity scene that's weird. It's the lack of nativity in the whole rest of the show that's huh, juxtaposed yeah. with the nativity scene, right? They're, they're yeah. both weird, um, and the, the the toy soldiers are also weird. Uh, I, I'm reminded of uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, which is one of the other traditional entertainments that maintains this uh, mid 20th century, um, I guess I could say balance between secular concern and religiosity that's sort of characteristic of the time and doesn't. But in this case, it doesn't get changed because they don't go back and change the cartoon. Like you can actually watch this cartoon where they talk about, you know, anxiety and shopping and lights and then there's like a big religious speech at the end right and it's utterly yep. sincere um and in that case i think even charlie brown christmas is more thematically linked to its religious themes than this show is which like literally portrays the nativity right um 
But anyway, sorry, I'm diverted. It, it, well, to answer your question, Mark, yes, it is jarring. It's the best part of the show. It's super jarring, right? Like, uh, and it's what it's part of what makes it interesting. This is the best uh, part of the show. I'm going to think about that. Well, too. I don't know. I, I, I guess for me, the camel coming out. The thing that was awesome, I the just live animals. Quiet. Yeah, it, it, camels it, it, are so just, quiet when they walk. It's amazing. They have such big feet. And they're so quiet. Um, <laughs> I remember the circus came to town when I was stuck in New Haven over the holidays one year, uh, and I think. Was it over the holidays? It might have even been a different time of year. I just remember looking out my window at the camels walking down the street, and they were so quiet. Um, and that just felt special. That's apropos of nothing. Um, no, no, no. That, that's pretty much to the yeah. point, right? Like, you've got like, all the spectacle, and it's like, it's just an amped up version of stuff that maybe you've seen before. And then it's like, oh, man, they brought the live animals indoors to the theater. I have never seen that before. I think that is like the very much the reaction they're going for, and they absolutely get. Yeah, I guess one other thing I would say to associate with this is just to just to try to take on the nostalgia narrative a little bit like functionally. There are other things that are happening than nostalgia when you're going in the mid 20th century to New York City to see a show like this, which are not happening now. Right. I think I think it's kind of important, um, perhaps, to think about to think about the. The, that particular area of New York, which is very close to Saks Fifth Avenue, which is sort of which I think of as the sort of traditional Christmas capital of New York. Right. The windows that we would go and mm-hmm. look at the windows. Yes, there's the tree at Rockefeller Center. But the real old school stuff is like the windows at Saks Fifth Avenue. And if you're thinking about the United States, the sort of second American Revolution, right, the sort of like what did the United States become when it kind of went through this sort of big industrialization and this big sort of like interconnection as a country that kind of starts before the Civil War and, and proceeds at gangbusters after it? You know, you have the market revolution. You have this idea that like the Western Union, you know, the West, not the Western Union, but the uh, the Wells Fargo wagon is going to come to your town and you're going to be able to order things and get them. Like we watched The Music Man not that long ago for the podcast. Um, but this idea that like people can now can have you can have access to stuff that is this is not a foregone conclusion that that you were going to have access to stuff. Now, granted, this is 100 years later. This is 100 years after it has generally been the case that you can have access to stuff at all. You don't have to make your own candles anymore. Right. Like 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 you can buy it. Someone somewhere is buying it and shipping it somewhere and you can get it. And so there there was, of course, which does not really exist anymore. This had this activity called shopping, right, where you would go out and you would buy the things that you needed and you would go home and you had to do it because they didn't bring it to your house. Right. Like and there wasn't a big box store that you could go to to buy everything. And. They're sort of like, and I'm being very silly here. I'm, I'm I know I'm being a, a, a douche, but but you could I could sort of think of the concept of shoppingness as having a, a kind of uh, think of it as sort of like four small circles, two circles of double that diameter, one circle of quadruple that diameter. Zoom out. There's another circle of sixteen times that diameter. The like function of shopping is something that exists on very small scales and on very large scales as human activity. And one of the big scales at which you could do it at if you lived in the New York area was to go to New York City, right? Like actually go there to shop. And it's much bigger than like going to the corner store, going to your downtown, like even if it's going to your mall and you're a little later in the 20th century, going to New York City to shop is like, I don't want to call it microcosm, macrocosm, but it's a magnification of your life. It's like all of the things 
that were happening in your everyday life to go and buy and sell things, which, you know, it sounds you know, it sounds cheap, but it's like that's your food. That's your clothes. That's like a lot of stuff that's really important in your life is you're getting through shopping. Right. Especially if you're in charge of the shopping, it's a huge part of your life. Uh, and I, it's not just this sort of empty thing. There's this whole aspect of it being social. There's this whole aspect of it being like having this sort of process of discovery associated with it. Um, and just the idea that like Christmas is the time where you shop for the big presents for everybody. It's the biggest shopping time. And so if, if, if shopping in the sense of like going about your life and kind of doing these transactions and kind of getting these necessities and then getting these optional things. So there's sort of like, it's multiple different layers of like, how important is the thing that you're buying? How expensive is the thing that you're buying? How far away from your home do you have to go to get it? How hard is it for you to find? How much of a sacrifice is it for you to get it? And like, also like, what is the social relationship that it engenders? What's the feeling it's going to engender? All of these can sort of be seen as building up and culminating in waves, I think. And they can kind of peak mm. by traveling all the way into New York City to shop during the holidays. I don't think that works that way anymore. I don't think, but that's, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey in the 80s. I still feel that a little bit, like in my, in my, in my guts. You know, this idea of like, we're going to the city, right? Like, like we were outside the city and we're going to the city and it's like a big deal. Um, and so when you, know, you think I, about I, Pete, I yeah. want to interject with it with a little story that uh, overthinker Ryan Sheely told on the TFT podcast once, where he was standing behind uh, he was standing behind some people in line somewhere in his in his home in in Pennsylvania, and uh, it's like and and uh, it was a couple, and the the uh, guy was bragging to the girl, right, like. Um, uh, you know, baby, when we go to to New York City, I'm going to take you to the Banana Republic. I'm going <laughs> to yes, I'm, yes, yes. I remember this. <laughs> I'm going to take you to you know the Old Navy, right? And the idea that there actually is that 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 even even in an age where it was completely irrelevant because these things, I mean, these things existed in like a Baudrillardian like realm of the simulation. You know, uh, that that the thing that you're talking about persisted uh, even long past when it was when it ceased to be factually true. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, I, we did go to the Banana Republic uh, before the show. It's in Rockefeller Center. Um, it's uh, large. It's very nice. And most importantly, they have a clean public restroom. Where my five-year-old could they got use the bathroom. Um, also, also, also that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, like there's an amplification. I mean, it's American culture, so you don't have the rarefication of the sort of nobility aspect of it as much, right? Like everything, especially if you're, if you're Yankees, especially if it's New York city, um, you know, you're, there's the, uh, there's that sort of old Dutch influence and commercial influence of like, uh, but, but when you think about something like Andy Williams, when I think of Andy Williams, which is like most wonderful time of the year, the Andy Williams Christmas special, you know, it's people in sweaters on fake ice skates on fake ice on TV, but it's trying to imitate a sort of everyday life. And there, there is, I guess, a nostalgia for it now, but I also feel like it was trying to be cool while it was happening because it was reflecting something that was happening now. You know, like, like the Rockettes are so old that the show wasn't nostalgic when it started, you know, like, and, and, and so like, if they're copying the show, I suppose, I mean, to the extent the fact that they continue to do it has to be informed by nostalgia, but also a sort of dramaturgical examination of it might reflect some other relationships between 
the magnification and grandeur and imitation of various sorts of things that are happening in the show as they especially as they associate with like um, this sort of music. When I think, I mean, the rock and roll music that you're talking about is also just the music of being out in public spaces during the heyday of shopping. And and I do. I was thinking the other day because I went to CBS because I had to pick up some medicine. My daughter was sick and I had to pick up some medicine and uh, and they were playing, you know, some Phil Collins or something. And I remember thinking like, man, this music is so much older than the music that they played in CVS when I was a kid, which was Phil Collins (laughs) 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 or something. And maybe it was Steve Winwood. But but just the idea that like. He went on mute right at the moment where he was about to say his his apotheosis. The Just the, <laughs> the idea of what, Pete? The idea I hit my of mute what? Button. You were oh, so was, excited, I so exercised. I, was so, I pounded my fist on the table like like Winston Churchill uh, losing the prime ministership. But no, it's, uh, it's if you it's, overthink it's, the law, argue the law. If you overthink <laughs> the facts, argue the facts. If you don't overthink the law or the facts, pound your fist on your mute button until they listen to you or don't because you're mute (laughs) radio city music hall radio city right is that is is some to some extent about the extension of this neighborhood out into a surrounding area that is larger than was previously thought possible due to technology in the 20th century and kind of bringing in all these people and the shopping experience which is so tied to visiting upper midtown manhattan uh it's just it's being encased in lucite, right? Like it's just it's not growing, it's not evolving, it's just going to die, right? Like it's just like it's not it's they're just gonna play Phil Collins forever. They're gonna like jump ahead to like Shania Twain. I mean, I guess they're already playing Shania Twain, but like they're not playing you know Halsey right at the CVS, um, and uh, and I think that that's related to an extent to what's happening with kind of classic Christmas songs. Uh, in the sense of like, why aren't they making new ones? Why are we adding new ones? Well, because they were there for shopping and we have kind of, we have kind of divorced, we have separated from shopping and have not divorced yet. Uh, and as such, like, don't know the nature of our relationship or what it's going to be moving forward. Uh, and I think that that weighs on the music they would play there. Anyway, Mark, I'm sorry. I interrupted. No, 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 no. Don't go. <laughs> I can't believe I hit my view button. Um, I can't right, believe I hit my mute right button. at the crucial the, moment, Pete. Right at the, the, the shopping in, in, in Manhattan is it's it, is it dying? It's it's just getting more and more upscale, right? Um, and more luxury for sure, right? Well, now um, it's a tourist it is, experience more it, than it, it, is, it, is, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and to that point, right, the, the whole mass media and, and culture aspect of the of the show itself, right? Like it is interesting in that it is it takes in and absorbs mass media, but then also like, you know, theater, live theater is not mass media, to be clear. Right. right? Um it is uh, you know, um it's, uh, it's, it's a directly experiential thing. Yeah. Um and uh it, it, You know what so, is mass media is the nativity. Um because you hear about it at mass. <laughs> oh wow. Oh man. Like, There's like, a 20th like, century joke for you. <laughs> It's like because of the printing press and the Bible, no, 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 because of what you said, that's much better. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I like that. That's uh, maybe we should sort of kind of starting to wrap it up here, right? But like, you know, the show is um, it, okay. I take it back what I said before, right? It, it is not so much interesting in how it tries to not be interesting. It is just straight up interesting. Um, there's there's a lot going on. 
I sold it a little short. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we could get hype. You should all go see it right now. It's probably playing at this moment. It's playing, like, it. it's playing like eight times a day. It is absolutely amazing what they uh what they put themselves through when you just think of the the feats of feats of endurance feats of uh strength you know uh praise praise our national rockets stronger I mean, <laughs> you know with higher kicks than any other than any other nation's rockets uh yeah the rockets red red flare <laughs> we have fans in Africa. We have fans in Central Asia. We have fans all over the world. They should all drop everything they're doing and fly to New York City to see the Rockets Christmas Spectacular so they can see the 3D Santa Claus movie from 2007 and also the thing with the toy soldiers from 1933 uh, and also a camel, which they can also see if and, they stayed at home. And you can go to the Banana the Republic. Banana. The Banana Republic. <laughs> all right, let's leave it. There. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> Pete and Mark, thank you for overthinking the Radio City uh, Music Hall Christmas Spectacular with me. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be Christmas content throughout the whole holiday season, but uh, you know, I don't know. That might be something to that might be something to reach for. Um, but uh, you know, whatever it is, we'll be back with it next week with more Overthinking it podcast. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. You know who's not a quiet animal? A donkey. <laughs> <laughs>